Senior executives know that to stay on top of your game, you need to constantly challenge and develop yourself. IMI's new senior executive experience delivers future-focused learning. Gain invaluable tools and insights in areas like organisation resilience and digital transformation to shape the future of your organisation. Visit imi.ie for details. Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Eden Charles, Eden helps inspire and develop leaders so that they can realize their potential to create societies and organizations fit to house the human spirit. Eden has delivered presentations and development programs for organizations that challenge many of the dominant assumptions of leadership at their role in developing organizations for the future. Eden, welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay, thank you very much. It feels like you already have introduced me. That sounded really good what you read out. Um, if I could just say a little bit more, um, I work with organizations, I have worked in all, well, all around the world, um, and I see my job as being to help organizations to manage some of the most difficult and intractable issues that they face, um, to help develop leaders and leadership that can address those issues. Um, I help organizations to, to do all of that, but also to look at what they need to do to do all of that. So how do they work with issues of cultural transformation and a reimagination of, of roles and of purpose of their people and organization? I think that my mission is to help uh, leaders to think differently about how they can create cultures which are high-performing, cultures which are just, equitable, inclusive, um, cultures which are all of those things because they, they generate fantastic outcomes but also because those cultures help influence equity in our society more widely. Eden, you were the speaker on the first IMI mini masterclass of 2023. And during that webinar, we spoke quite a bit about the purpose of leadership and how it's not enough for someone to want to be a leader just because that's the natural step in their career or because they want to be in charge. So why do you think it's so important for everyone to find a specific purpose for their leadership? I think it's important for everyone to find a purpose for their leadership because it's important for everybody to find a purpose for their lives. We all need to do this. We all need to think, think about what is my identity? What do I believe in? What do I stand for? Why am I here? I think that those questions and the answers that you give yourself to those questions if they are fed into your leadership, can help you make a difference, can help you make a contribution to your to your organization that people who just turn up to deliver what they've been told to deliver can't do. It is the people that have that creativity, who have that other perspective that can make that, that really big difference. I think that we face issues in the world right now that are crying out for leadership, not managing, not managing managementism. It's crying out for people who are prepared to see beyond the everyday, beyond the six-month cycle, and to think, how can I lead my, my team, my organization, my service, my society in ways that help us not just survive, but to thrive, to grow, and to live into the future? I think that at a time like this in our world, many of the fundamentals that we have taken for granted over time are being severely challenged. For example, some of the rights that we have won for women or for people of colour, 
and for what we used to call working class people working the, what we used to call the working class in our society have been attacked degraded and eroded principles of internationalism that some once held really dear much more widely than we do now are giving way to narrow nationalism in many different parts of the world the damage this is the potential of all these forces to wreak habits on our survival on this planet is huge i think that leaders who help people to think who help people to feel valued who help people to feel that they are going to be treated equitably that they are going to be able to bring their difference and their uniquenesses to the to the workplace that there is a purpose to their work that goes beyond the other day leaders who can work with those things who can hold people create space for people to bring their creativity and humanity offer the potential for these people to be influencers of other people and people who will make a difference much more widely than just in the workplace um, in fact in our society more generally so i think it's everyone to have a everyone, it's important for everyone to have a purpose for their leadership because it's important for everyone to have a to find a purpose for their lives but i think at this particular time in our history as a species we need people who can lead in ways that challenge some of those narratives that degrade people and put profit short term profits um in front of long term sustainability on this planet Eden, thanks so much i want to pick up on something you said there about we need leaders more than we need management and i think a lot of people confuse those two terms or use them quite interchangeably so what is the difference between leadership and management and what really sets a true leader apart from a manager there is a critical difference between leadership and management but you really can't have one with the other i think great leaders are good at managing themselves if they can't manage themselves they're good at getting people around them who can manage themselves and their functions and the duties that they have um but leaders do something that managers typically don't have to do to the same extent leaders set the path leaders understand that leadership is always about change it is always about movement and it is about change and movement at times that are contested that are challenging that are difficult is but how do you help my organization my team my group of people to be able to produce the outputs we're tasked to to generate the outcomes we expected to how do we help them in the times when they are face so many challenges to get through i i often find that people who come on a leadership courses they come on the courses thinking that they want to do a leadership course because they've they've got to a certain level of seniority and they want to go to the next one and often they haven't done that thinking that goes beyond themselves and i think that is something about leadership i think good leadership goes wider than the individual and it and it sees the individual and their place in the world and it takes that seriously it sees the individual and their place in the world and it takes that with a sense of responsibility that as leaders we have a role to play in making this world a better place and if we can do that if we can do that well then it gives hope because when you talk to one person they'll talk to somebody else and that person will talk to other people when you have an influence on one family or one person in a family you have an influence on the whole family the things that we can do if if somebody comes to work and they feel valued their ability to 
to transcend what the people would once have called their capability is phenomenal. You know, the way we treat people creates great, has a huge impact on who they can become and also on who our organization can become. And I think that's what great leadership does. That's what good leadership does. It, it, it sets the tone, it sets the vision, it sets the sense of purpose, or it helps liberate the vision. It helps liberate the sense of purpose that others can work with, can work with. It helps create the spaces in which people can do phenomenal things. It provides protection for people to enable them to become the human beings that they already are, to help to help enable them to achieve the visions, the truths, the values, to, to, to put those things into practice in ways that make a difference to the, to, to the outputs and outcomes of the organization, but also to our society. Eden, thank you so much. I think that's a really enlightening and inspirational way to look at leadership. And now you mentioned that leaders are all about change and moving forward and, you know, setting that path for the organization. So based on that, do you think that you need to wait until you're at a certain level in your career before you can start showing these leadership capabilities or these leadership traits? Or do you think that that is available to anyone, no matter their rank in the organization? In ancient Greece, in ancient Greece, the term idiot referred to those people who did not take a part in leading their country. They had this wonderful notion. They said, it had a phrase attached to it that went something like, every cook can govern. And I've taken that into my work in the sense that it doesn't matter who you are, at what level of the organization that you are, but you can exhibit behaviors that help lead people, influence people, inform people, inspire people, no matter where you are. In order to do so, you need to be really clear about what your values are and what the things that you believe in are and what the things that you want the, the world to be like. So I think that when you begin as a leader, that's a phenomenal time, that's a phenomenal time to read, to study, to find people who are different from you and challenge yourself and your ideas with them. Enrich your ideas and yourself with them. I think when you when you begin in, in, in management and leadership, the people who want to, um, who want to both climb the ladder and the people who want to do a really good job, they they know that they can, or, or, or I would like them to know and believe that how they treat other people on a day-to-day -day basis has a phenomenal imp impact on their lives. And so I think that no matter what level you are in the organization, you can be a leader. I think that um, <clears throat> our organizations are too much like a pyramid with very few people at the top and too much decision-making taking place at the top. And I look forward to a time when many, more of our organizations are more uh, have, have leaders who see their role as being opening up possibilities for the diversity and wisdom of people at the more so-called junior levels of the organization to be able to bring their, their creativity and their humanity and the potential that they have to help the organization to see itself and to see possibilities in different ways. Thanks very much, Eden. And following on from kind of the role of the leader in the organization, what role do you think leaders have to play in the development of organizational culture? And how does a positive culture impact on the outputs of that organization? Okay. 
So there, there was a book out once, I think it was called The Fish Rots from the Head. <laughs> and what it said, the, the basic theory behind it, principle behind it, was that um, if, if something is wrong in the organization, then something is wrong with their leadership. Um, I, I meet many people who uh, can articulate beautifully all the principles of leadership that I've just spoken about better than I better than I have just done. Um, and then when I go down to the production line or to the more junior offices, or if I'm working in the health service to um, the maternity wards, or I see people whose lives are not liberated, who don't who don't understand um, the, the the sorts of things that. That, that, that the leader articulates because that's not how they experience their lives. They experience that they're, 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 they're expected to turn up and to deliver. So when, when I see that, I say that the leader is not doing their job, that they, have, that they are not leading in the way which they say they want to lead, and they are not recognizing sufficiently the importance of them creating a powerful, effective organizational culture. It is the leader's job to create, to create if not delineate and, and specify every detail of what the culture should be, they need to create the space for something to, to emerge that, that, that fits into the values and the, the kind of sense of what it is they want the organization to achieve. I know people who have been leaders of organizations who have said some really good things, and I and I have seen those people sometimes in times of stress, but sometimes almost as a matter of principle, treat people in ways that are bullying and negative. And in the short term, that might drive performance. In the long term, it degrades it. And I think the one that one of the things that um, that we know now is that when people leave an organization, the primary reason they give is their relationship with the person who manages or leads them. So I think I think that. Leaders have a critical role to play in the development of the organization culture. Um, I think it's their job. And I think one reason why they have to do that is because it does affect the outputs of the organization. I told the story on the on the podcast on the when I did that 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 workshop about the working for BP after the Macondo oil spillage in the Gulf of Mexico. And the, what leadership recognized at that point in time is that they had not sufficiently created a culture in which people felt that they could speak up and say something is going wrong. We don't believe this is safe. We think something is going to go wrong any minute now. People didn't feel safe to that, to, to, to have that kind of culture. And as a result of that, BP was almost brought to its knees. In the airline industry, in loads of other industries, they recognize that if you don't create the right kind of culture for people to do their jobs, then the organization will fold, it will collapse. Or in the airline industry, the airplanes won't be safely, safe to fly in. So I, I, just, I, I think that we tend to often think about once you get to a, a, that level, in a senior level to an organization, that your job is, is to... to to, to, to coordinate things and and it's, and it's provide to say all the right things but I think it also requires you to pay attention to creating the culture the way people feel the way people experience themselves at work the the values that people experience you you articulating being 
modeled and reflected in the ways in which people at every level of the organization work. So yeah, I think that this is absolutely important and it, too, too little detail is given to it. And, and sometimes when it is given to creating the culture of the organization, the approach is sometimes I think a bit too mechanical and transactional. You cannot, you cannot define a culture in advance, but you can enable a positive culture to, 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 to develop, to emerge as a result of the ways in which you interact with people, the ways in which you think, the permissions that you give and the boundaries that you set. Thanks very much, Eden. And now I want to go back to change, which is something that we mentioned briefly. And I think one of the key characteristics of a leader is the ability to embed change and to really make it last. And we talk about there being three orders of change. Can you tell us a bit about these three orders? It's hard to know where to start. I want to start off by, by talking about thinking about change. First order change is the kind of change in which you stay within the existing paradigm. You, you make sure that things work the way they are supposed to. If something goes wrong, you correct it. That's first order change. You fix things, but you don't challenge the fundamentals about why those things exist in the first place or why the issues that you face have emerged. Second order change requires understanding why things are as they are. Why do we have the issues that we have? It requires a certain amount of wisdom or the application of wisdom to ask some critical questions. Like an example is often given of an airline, fly, airplane flying from one place to the other. First order change would say, oh, you've gone off course by a few miles, nudge the plane to the right. Or you've gone off course too far to the right, nudge your plane in another direction. You know, so you've changed something, um, but you haven't changed the destination or you haven't changed the fact that this is an airplane flying in the sky. Second order change would ask the question like, why are you flying in the first place? Do you have to make this trip? Is this the best way that you could do this thing? Third order change is the change that, that it's about wisdom because it's, it's fine to know, to, to, it's fine to understand that something bigger needs to happen is fine to be able to ask questions about the driving forces that have created the issues that you are confronted with but that doesn't mean that you can do something about it so for me third order change is developing the ability to make yourself the instrument of change it's developing the ability to be able to be so self-critical and so self-aware that you hone that, that, that way in which you impact the world. You become better at influencing people, better at communicating, better at, at, at doing all the critical things that you need to do if the quality of thinking that you've had is going to be translated into effective action. I think so often we have fantastic plans on paper, fantastic change strategies on paper, but we don't live those, the leadership don't live, live those sincerely enough. They don't engage with them for long enough. They don't communicate to people that this is something that I really, really believe in and that I will be here for long term to make sure that it actually happens. And there are great examples of where leaders have done that and they've produced, typically they've produced phenomenal results as a result of that. So first order is, fixing things, patching up, but keep doing more of the same. Second order is asking questions. Why is that so? 
Third order is becoming the change you want to see in the world. It's doing that work on yourself so you can be that change. So that's one way of thinking about, about first, second and third order change. But there's another way of thinking about it. And I think you can go right back to, I think Lewin said this. He talks about freeze, unfreeze, refreeze. And this is very similar to the work of a guy called Bridges, who talks about the difference between change and transition. Um, when you want to make change take place, the first thing you need to do is to disconfirm your existing states. And if you can't do that, then don't bother changing. Disconfirmed existing state means working out what's wrong and being able to articulate what's the, why it's wrong and communicate that to people in ways that are convincing. It means developing a vision that is compelling, that is credible, that can inspire people and motivate them to want to change. It means developing a plan that can actually, a plan or a strategy that can actually make that vision a reality. All that is necessary in the unfreezing stage. The next stage in, in Lewin's work is to actually put that into practice. It's to socialize the plans. It's to make the restructure if a restructure is needed. It's to train people, it's to do all sorts of things to get them able to deliver the change. But the third order of change, which Lewin calls refreezing and Bridges calls transition, is that, is that moment in change in which you embed that into every single aspect of the work, into every fiber of the way in which the organization works, into the organization's vision, its sense of purpose, its sense of identity. You embed it into job description, into personal specifications, into what jobs we take on and what jobs we don't take on, into how we work with our clients, into how we think about and how we treat our staff, the people who work with us, into how we think about our clients and how we treat our clients. You embed that into every single fiber of your being. You make that, 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 that change something that is both behavioral and institutional. You do that and you help people to be able to work in that way for a over a period of time because just announcing it and not doing stuff to really help embed it is absolutely critical so that's the transition it's it's the it's how we we, we, we make things happen so it's just, so as i said the language i don't like the language of, of frozen unfreeze movements refreeze so so it's freeze unfreeze refreeze um but i do like the, the notion that in order to move you have to have you have to disprove the existing you have to have a powerful vision of where you want to go and you have to have a, a, a decent plan to get you there and then you have to take effective action and then you have to embed it into the ways in which you conceive of and actualize the way your organization works i think that those things are absolute truisms and you can find those same principles in the work of loads of people who write about change expressed in different words broken down into maybe two categories or maybe four categories or most of the time three it's all there those, those essential principles of, of of change first order second order third order thanks eden that's great um it's a really interesting way to think about change and if I were to give a specific example of some of these orders of change, I think diversity and inclusion is one that's quite interesting to talk about because I think it comes to the forefront a lot in terms of hiring policies and how people yeah. are promoted within organizations and 
maybe that's the first order of change, making sure that things work. But I think a lot of organizations don't really focus on the root of why diversity and inclusion are so important. And they see it more of a box ticking exercise. They hired a female, they hired a person of color, but not exactly the why. So can you tell us why it's so important and what some of the benefits are to the organization when they create an environment where diverse people can thrive and really be themselves in the workplace? Yeah, I, I, I think that's an excellent question. I, I, like, I like that question. And I think I agree with you when you say that most organizations, when they have diversity and inclusion policies, they don't follow those, those principles I just outlined. They, it, is, it is much too often a box ticking exercise. Um, and you have good people who will put some energy into those things but unless it becomes much more integral and at the heart of the organization and at the heart of the organization, that means not just what the heart of the, what the organization tells itself it is, but at the heart of how the organization lives those values, then you won't change anything. You can run all the unconscious bias courses that you want, all you can do all that, um, looking at how do you um, have inclusive recruitment processes. If you haven't set the vision for um the, the kinds of issues that you are dealing with when you go about doing all these all these these interventions then they are not going to produce they're not going to produce the outcomes that help make the sorts of changes that diversity and inclusion policies were designed for so to the second part of your question why is it so important why do we why do we believe diversity and inclusion is possible is, is important well on a, on, a, on a basic level diversity and inclusion is important for our organizations to take into consideration because every single organization achieves its profits, its benefits, its impact through and with people. Our organizations are human systems. They are complex, adaptive human processes. The way that we relate to each other in our organization is what produced the outcomes that we have. I, I, I can't stress that enough. You know, um, even in an oil company, until human intervention is made, the oil is worth very little. It is what we do with it and how we work with it that makes that makes that thing profitable. Um, and it's, it's how human beings work with each other in the process of working with it, defining it, finding it, securing it, extracting it, refining it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that makes that, 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 makes that, that thing of value. So I, I think that um, when we talk about why we're doing diversity and inclusion, we're, talk, we're talking about how do we address some of the huge inequities that exist in our societies? And those inequities are, are many and varied. They are, they, are, they are to do with gender. They are to do with race, ethnicity, nationality, class, sexuality. In fact, they are to do with many, many of, of, of the things that go beyond what in England they talk about as protected characteristics or the things that are the, the, the areas that typical legislation covers. Diversity and inclusion, I think, is working well with it is, is ultimately about how we survive, not just as an organization, but as a species on this planet. But if I just want to stick within the organizational context right now, then we know there's, there's now sufficient research evidence that diverse teams outperform homogenous teams. There is, there is, there is, particularly in times of change. What we forget, though, is that it's not just 
um, having diversity that creates outstanding outcomes and outputs. It's having, it's having leadership that does three things. A, they recognize that diversity. B, they value that diversity and they express a value of diversity so that people feel truly valued and included and a sense of belonging. But critically, C, they utilize that diversity. That is, they bring people in and then don't expect them to behave exactly the same as everybody else. In fact, they bring them in and they want to celebrate the fact that they might have diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of talents, and, they, and diversity of, of demography. Um, and the wisdom that brings up, the extra, the extra insights that brings to their ability to be able to um, contribute to the organization. So it's those three things, recognize the diversity, value that diversity, utilize that diversity. When we have that, then we have the data now that shows that those, those teams and those organizations outperform organizations that are homogenous. So I think it those the key reason why we have to, why, why creating an inclusive environment matters but i also think there are other reasons why creating an inclusive environment matters um and how and how that benefits the organization no organization exists in a vacuum they exist within societies and people experience societies not just as what the government says but they experience the society as every intervention in their lives and if people do not feel themselves valued and can't get jobs because of the color of their skin or because of their sex then that's going to impact our wider society. If people come into the organization and don't feel themselves sufficiently valued, then that's going to impact our society. That's going to help further division and animosity. Through the way in which we treat people in our, society, in our organizations, we can help create a more inclusive and just society. And I think that when managers, if managers choose to, to recognize that, if they value it, and if they choose to work with that, then what they are doing when they give somebody an opportunity, which is only fair, they are doing something that helps prevent something which is much worse happening in the longer term. If we can't, um, uh, if, if you um, keep excluding people, pushing people, exploiting them, devaluing them, at some point in time, that will have a, you will have a, there will be a price to pay for that. We don't have to wait for that. We can do something now and reap the benefits of our common humanity. Eden, thank you so much. I really love that quote of organizations being human systems. And for a final question, I want to stay on diversity and inclusion. And as you mentioned, I think diversity goes beyond those protected classes like gender, race, sexuality. What other kinds of diversity would you recommend that leaders and organizations consider when they're creating their diversity and inclusion policies or whether they're in the hiring process or they're creating that environment for diverse people? Well, I think it comes back to something that you said earlier on. It comes back to how we conceive of people. I think that that, that humanity is, is just messy because none of us is just a woman or just a man we are also have we have a social class we have our own sexuality we have our own personality our own particular patterns of thinking how we think we have our own lived experience which influences who we are but what i'm trying to say is that um diversity is a basic organizing principle of nature 
But diversity is what enables biological systems to evolve rather than seeing just how many um, categories we can add or tick off. I, I think there's something about let's just be open to accepting the messiness and the richness of that messiness of being human. That that um we we happily I think we're moving away from putting people into really simple boxes that that are supposed to define them. Um, and I think the work done on intersectionality by a woman called Kimberly Crenshaw has been phenomenal in, in, in contributing to that. The feminist movement helped us expand our sense of what it means to be human hugely and significantly. There's, there's some really good work that has been done. Let's not just stick to categories. Let's just say that as human beings, whatever we are, we are. How do, how do we learn to love that? How do we learn to embrace that? And how do we learn to work in our organizations in ways that don't expect and don't and don't force people into those little boxes, but actually welcome that diversity, welcome that 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 that, that breadth of being and celebrate it to such an extent that those people feel able to bring that and through their bringing that to the organization I can enable really wonderful, fun enjoyable, life-affirming opportunities of experience, but also of outcomes to emerge. So um, consider everything, basically. Look, look at differences. Um, learning to love difference, I think, is, is important. There's something about the psychology of people who want things to all be the same that is worth exploring. I think in, it fundamentally often it is based on fear and insecurity. So I think there is something about us learning how we can be sufficiently loving of ourselves and understanding of ourselves that we can be open to really loving other people and loving the diversity that human beings bring. A huge amount of food for thought for our leaders to take back into their own organizations from this conversation that we've had. So thank you for joining us on the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. And thank you to everyone for listening. You can follow us on SoundCloud or on your preferred podcast provider to ensure that you don't miss an episode. Until next time.